The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramerica. I'll be with my friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. You know what? I know that people hate me when I just say, stay the course or stay put during a correction, which is what we call a decline of 10 to 20 percent, like the one we're in the middle of right now, including today where the Dow dipped seven points. But that was up after it was, that was after it was up 500 points in the morning. Nauseating. The S&P lost 0.54 percent and the Nasdaq tumbled 1.40 percent. I mean, it is just miserable over there. Nobody wants to hear stay the course. They want action. Yeah, they want an excuse to sell everything and then circle back on a lower level, the right level. I can't play them. Who wants to be the bull in the ring? I went to a bullfight once in San Miguel de Allende, Mexico, and it was horrifying. I would have done anything to drag that bull out of that death trap. But it doesn't work that way in stocks. There's the picador phase where the bull gets jabbed in the head and the neck over and over again to weaken those muscles. And then there's the murder or slaying, whatever euphemism you prefer. I don't want you to get slaughtered like that. I don't want you to be that bull, which is why I keep telling you to own shares in real companies that make real things and generate real profits. Perhaps you're turning them to shareholders with dividends and buybacks. Companies like Nucor, the steelmaker, or McCormick, the spice maker, both of which are on the show tonight. It's why I keep recommending that you own Apple, don't trade it. Something that made you feel pretty good, at least for this moment, if you saw the numbers after the bell tonight. It was a tray of superlatives on almost every line, a tech triumph over almost all supply chain issues, sharply better than expected iPhone sales, wearables, and services. The company now has, had, has 1.8 billion active devices. And get this, they attract a stunning amount of service revenue, as you can only imagine. Even better, the supply chain situation got better for Apple as the quarter went on. It means that they could continue with this fervent pace this quarter. I think each user is going to be worth thousands of dollars per customer lifetime value as they roll out health and entertainment options that are so popular. 
popular. Now, these tangible types of companies can feel the sting of the picadors during a correction, but they're all best to breed, so they won't ultimately face the matador, which means they won't be slain. However, if you own the more conceptual names, the formerly huge winners, betting that they be the next Tesla or the next Amazon or Apple, these are typically money-losing companies that stocks trade on basis of sales, not earnings, because there are no earnings. Now, some of them do make money, but they've gone out of style, the Wall Street fashion show, because there's still revenue growth stories, and I don't know when they're going to come back. When the Federal Reserve decides to hit the brakes in the economy, again, Jay Palace Picador, your head and neck are exposed with these former high flyers, because the conceptual stocks simply aren't worth as much as in the tangible stocks of the, versus the tangible stocks in this environment. You know something? It's really a double whammy. The twin matadors of inflation and impending rate hikes. Either one could behead these stocks, but both is overkill. Now, this market's been down for a long time. I use the uh, S&P proprietary oscillator to monitor the selling pressure. I go over it at 1020 each morning uh, in my morning meeting with Jeff Marks. You got to watch this. This is if you're a member of the club. You can't see it otherwise. And it's going to be stunning when I show it tomorrow and we talk about it. But also, this is of great interest. This is the 10th day in a row where decliners, thank you, S&P, outpaced advancers in the New York Stock Exchange. Do you know that this has been 20 years there's never been a period, not in 20 years. That's how bad this market really is. And uh, this is what happens when J-Pal just even talks about raising rates. And it happened, by the way, in late 2018. That said, it's still nowhere near the low readings we saw during the COVID crash in 2020. So you don't really get great comfort. But the October to December 2018 scenario is totally in play now. Back then, Powell wanted to stop inflation, but he overdid it. This time, he's being more considered, but we also have more inflation, and we're much closer to full employment, if not there, if not overshot, which gives the Fed a lot less wiggle room if something goes wrong. Even if Powell's more deliberate this time, he can't turn on a dime and walk everything back like he did after he crushed the market in 2018. In my world, I believe you can ride out the correction with high-quality stocks of tangible companies, like the ones we own for my travel trust, like the ones I'll talk about tomorrow at the 1020 morning meeting, uh, like Apple. No, we don't, want, we don't know when the picador will stop hectoring us, but there's no sign of the matador on horseback circling in for the kill of the quality names. I want you to think of it as two separate bull rings, one for the tangible stocks and one for the conceptual stocks. There's only one matador, and he's in there with the conceptual bull. These formerly high-flying stocks have already been cut to pieces, and it's an open question, though, whether they can get out of the ring alive. How can the beaten-down conceptual stocks make it? Well, if you think we can fix the supply chain crisis quickly, that causes prices to go up. Remember those problems. If you think we can fix the labor shortage, well, that's wage inflation, there may be a lot less federal assistance this year. And if you think commodities can go uh, quickly from shortage maybe to glut, then this bull gets out alive because Powell will take his foot off the brake. But I don't want to be in the conceptual bull ring. But if you don't see that happening, you should not be betting on these stocks. In fact, you actually might want to bet against them. How do, how do you do it? Right, ladies and gentlemen, let me introduce you to the ultimate hedge. Let me introduce you to the ARC. More specifically, the ARC Innovation ETF, which is run by Kathy Wood, the best money manager of 2020, albeit not 2021 and probably not 2022. Now, Wood owns, this is the ARC, okay? Wood owns a ton of textbook growth names, a Tesla, Teladoc, Zoom Video, Roku, Coinbase, Exact Sciences, Unity Software, Spotify, Neil Young, UiPath, Intellia Therapeutics. It's kind of a curious amalgam of animals, pandemic plays, cryptocurrency enablers, medical health breakthrough companies, cost savers, and a streaming music service. 
Now, most of these aren't like the hundreds of junk companies that came public last year, the IPOs and this torture SPAC names. Wood's favorites are often profitable. Their stocks have only recently begun to lose you money because they're momentum plays that now have lost their momentum. Now, they're not like ServiceNow, NOW, Bill McDermott, a growth software company. They reported terrific number last night because they helped their clients keep costs down at a time of rampant inflation. Stock popped 44 points. However, if you want a diversified portfolio of high-quality, profitable companies that make real things, provide real services, and you don't have the confidence to swap out and swap back in, I don't think you can because that timing's hard, I have a brutal solution for you. The ARK Innovation Fund is listing down 30% for the year. See, this is my ARK Innovation, right? Uh, and it's, that's, it had another drubbing today. If you think it's headed further down, the cynical geniuses who prey on investors in the form of ETFs have come up with a way to bet against Kathy Wood herself. It's called the Tuttle Capital Short Innovation ETF. Its symbol is SARK, S-A-R-K, and it literally shorts whatever uh, Kathy goes along. It's, it, frankly, too cruel even for me. But man, I want to think of the Sark ETF as the scotch that happened to be my parents' choice. Sark, as in Cuddy Sark. Yep, you can buy some Sark and hedge your position. If you're worried this correction will continue, then stay the course in the stocks that are holding up, and then you use this thing to bet against the growth stocks that are the center of the blast radius. Yark! Now, I don't want this to turn to some kind of like claymation deathmatch like we saw a year ago today with GameStop, where the longs literally set out to crush a bunch of short-selling hedge funds. When you're picking stocks, please don't make it personal. That said, I need you to remember that what's going on here now, the Fed could be uh, tougher than expected. Jay is not trying to bring down the arc. He's not trying to sink it. It's simply collateral damage from his fight to get inflation under control. I've been in this business for 40 years, and I can tell you that these growth stocks are the ones that get hit hardest in a tightening cycle. So here's the bottom line. Now you know how to bet with POW if you think that J-POW wants to destroy the economy. You pour the Sark over the Ark, and you bet that they all drown, and no one gets out alive. Let's take some calls. John in Pennsylvania. John. How you doing, Mr. Kramer? Couldn't be better, man. I feel like I had a few. What's happening? <laughs> hey, I've been sitting home for three weeks getting over a hip replacement I had done. Um, first thing I did was join the uh, CMBC Investing Club. Yes! Uh, yeah, yes! And I understand there's a new world we're living in here with investing. Well, you know, we try to make that 1020 meeting. I mean, I got CEOs watching yep. the meeting. It's just a lot of fun. What's going on? Yeah. So my question to you is in this new world, um, every day, Yeti is getting beat down. It's getting down there. Where does it fit? Yeah, well, I got to tell you, it's very interesting you said that because Yeti was recommended yesterday by someone and it was the most beautiful recommendation. So many good things happening there. It's a really interesting idea. I think that Yeti may be the kind of stock that you can ride things out with. But remember, we want dividend. We want return of capital and we want things made. Well, they do make things. All right. Now, I mean, hey, if you think the Fed wants to destroy the economy, now you know what to do. You pour the sark over the ark and you bet that the whole thing stinks no sinks oh man money tonight could mccormick add a dash of spice to your portfolio i'm checking in with the ceo then we have had an influx of new deals hitting the market but which are rightfully being punished and which could be worth watching i'm digging the latest inventory in the street and Newcore jumped 4% today after reporting a better-than-expected quarter i'm digging into the numbers with the company's top press so of course stay with
miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Fact. Running a business is not getting easier on your wallet. With higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. Also a fact. Smart businesses are reducing costs and headaches by graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, and HR into one platform and one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Accessed from anywhere. You can cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. You improve efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. See how you'll profit with NetSuite, and then you can think of all the ways you could be spending the money you save. Company retreat in Malibu, anyone? By popular demand, NetSuite is offering a -a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program for a few more weeks. Head to NetSuite.com to start saving. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than three and a half million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash madmoney. Just go to Indeed.com slash madmoney right now and support this show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash madmoney. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. All right, forget the text all for a second. I'm actually worse the packaged food bull market. Take a look at McCormick, the number one maker of spices, seasonings, and sauces, with a stock that jumped nearly 7% today in the wake of a terrific quarter. You know how much I like these guys. This morning, McCormick reported a top and bottom line beat, double-digit growth in both their consumer business and, I think, in many ways, more important, their restaurant supply business. Even better, management issued a bullish full-year forecast, talking about $3.17 to $3.22 of earnings per share. And also, you're looking for $3.09. No wonder McCormick zoomed to a new 52-week high. Someone downgraded earlier this week. I said, can they at least... Why don't they wait to see what they do? But can this stock keep running? Let's check in with Lawrence Kurzius, friend of the show, chairman and CEO of McCormick. Get a better read in the quarter. Mr. Kurzius, welcome back to Mad Money. Thanks. It's great to be on with you. Man, you hit all my talking points. I, I should almost stop now. <laughs> well, we well, did. Let's, let's hit some more. Lawrence, you did it again. This You bought Cholula, which was a little bit sleepier than I like, kind of like a private equity thing, and you've turned it on fire. Number two, tell us about what happens when McCormick gets a hold of a brand. Well, you know, Jim, uh, first of all, I, I, again, uh, thank you for having me on. And, and we did just report a terrific uh, quarter. A consumer demand for flavor is just so strong. And our acquisition of Cholula Hot Sauce, uh, and, and we also bought uh, uh, Phone of Flavors last year, really did make fantastic additions to our uh, portfolio. 
you know, with uh, Cholula, we have expanded distribution. We've gotten it shelved better. Um, you know, we have uh, propelled uh, Cholula's growth. It was already a strong brand, uh, but we have propelled it to the number two position in the hot sauce category in the U.S. You know, uh, Cholula and Frank's are like uh, brother and sister uh, in the in the hot sauce category now. Uh, Frank's number one, Cholula number two. And I don't want to leave out restaurants. We have added thousands of uh, of restaurants, uh, uh, front of house uh, usage and back of house. And, uh, and and I guess I'll tell you one more uh, thing about Cholula is that uh, we added over a million households uh, using Cholula uh, in the last year. So really, really great progress on that brand. You know, one of the things that uh, people had told me was, look, when we get the reopening, uh, it's not it's, what you're going to have is people are going to go back. They're not going to be cooking. Uh, they'll go back to going to restaurants. And I always said, well, listen, they'll get uh, McCormick will get them in restaurants will get them at home. But what I am surprised about is the robust nature of people cooking at home, even after they're allowed to go out. Something's really going on here, Lawrence. It's very different from the way it's been in a long time. You know, it's been too, too much has been attributed to the pandemic. There has been a long term trend towards cooking at home, uh, cooking from scratch at home, uh, cooking more healthily at home, really driven by younger consumers. And Jim, I know you've got uh, young members of your family. Um, you know, they all, you, you know, I'm sure you see it as an anecdote. They all take pictures of everything that they cook and pass it around. I mean, cooking has been uh, in fashion uh, among young consumers for a long time. And it's really a long-term trend that we see globally. The well, pandemic accelerated it. But, but but it was a trend already before the pandemic. It's been a trend through the pandemic, and we believe it's continuing for the long term. So, I mean, my vegan daughter posts everything. And, of course, this is the only stuff that people – it doesn't have calories. And let's just call it like, – cut to the chase. You put on Cholula, you put on Frank's, and you don't add calories. And these people care tremendously about their health. It's not just because they want to look thin. They want to be healthy. Now, something else happened that I thought was kind of pretty interesting – I found out about an index that I did not know about. I thought I knew every index in the world. The Scoville Index. Tell people about that. Well, the Scoville Index is an index that measures how hot something is. Uh, hot, hot, not temperature-wise, but uh, spiciness-wise. And, uh, you know, Cholula uh, is, uh, is a hot sauce that uh, measures around 2,000 on the Scoville Index. That's just a little bit less than a straight jalapeno does. Um, you know, Frank's is a little bit more mild. You know, consumers aren't looking for the hottest thing out there. There's some of these uh, uh, boutique uh, uh, hot sauces that'll blow your head off that have uh, much higher Scoville unit ratings. But uh, but we believe that consumers are looking for flavor with their heat, and uh, and that's that's where the real uh, uh, opportunity is. Okay, I have been critical of some of the uh, more odd cryptos because I think that they're a bit of a joke. Uh, but I've got to tell you, as between Dogecoin. And bone coin, I'm taking bone coin for the big game. What do you think? Hey, that's a. This is one I knew you would love, Jim. You know, um, our marketing for uh, Cholula and for Franks uh, we, is targeted right at the younger consumer. I mean, we know our consumer, and uh, and 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 for Franks, we've got a bone coin uh, promotion that we're launching for the for the big game. You eat wings uh, on a, on the. Frank's app, you take a picture of the wings, that of the of the of the bones. That's how you mine bone coin. You you earn bone coin by showing pictures of chicken wing bones. And with those bone coins, you can buy edible fungible to- net, net, uh, uh, 
uh, NFTs. And, uh, and if, if that's not on trend and that right in the moment, I don't know what is. Oh, I think it's perfect. It's certainly very fitting. Now, most companies in your business have had a hard time with inflation. When I looked at the, your brands and what I see, I think some companies don't. I can, can pass it on because their brands are so great. You did not spend a lot of time on inflation. And that, to me, says that you can take price. Well, you know, um, inflation is certainly out there. And, and it's going to come through. It, I mean, it came through in our, in our numbers for, uh, for last year. And, and, it's, and it's part of our outlook for, for next year. You know, I think that you know, the first, you know, we don't give quarterly guidance. But, but if I, I were, I'd say, you know, first quarter is going to be a tough comparison to last year because all the pricing isn't going to be in, in, in effect and all the cost is in effect. Um, you, know, you know, we do see uh, inflation. Uh, we are taking pricing to, uh, to to counter. You know, our brands are strong. We're the leader in our categories, and our customers and our consumers know that we're going to be fair. Um, you, know, you know, we're passing through a cost. We're not margining up. Um, and 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 honestly, Jim, our products are part of the consumer solution for right. grocery bill inflation, not part of the problem. You know, you know, when things like meat go up forty percent. Uh, consumers can use McCormick flavors, uh, Frank's hot sauce, to to get all the flavor that they want out of their meal, uh, while they while they may buy cheaper cuts of meat and use more vegetables. I That's mean, a great it, point. With flank, right, flank steak doubled, right? But and so a way to be able to make it different and better is with your stuff. Really good story. Well, Lawrence, we got to move on. Uh, you're always a delight to come on. Uh, I knew it was going to be a good quarter. I couldn't believe someone, when I saw the downgrade of this, because, are you kidding me? This guy just got to number one and number two hot, and it's just going to get better and better. Lawrence Curtis, fantastic quarter. MKC, thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Jim. It's good numbers, guys. Good numbers. Stay with Kramer. Coming up, Stacks. Direct listings and the good old IPO. The market is teeming with new opportunities. Kramer reveals the ones that have caught his eye. Next. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. to blame the Fed for the market's meltdown over the last couple of months. And, and there's some truth to that. But at the end of the day, the Fed's only lit the match. The spark that led to a conflagration of selling, not just because j Powell wants to hit the brakes in the economy, but also because the stock market already had tons of dry kindling that was more than ready to burn. I'm talking about the mountain of recent IPOs and SPAC stocks with next to nothing propping them up. I always like to say that all markets are controlled by supply and demand, including the stock market. 
When you get a record number of IPOs like we did last year, roughly 440 of them, and a record number of awful SPAC mergers that are like faux IPOs, about 200, that creates a stock club. We could handle this new supply just fine when the Fed was still our friend. But once Jay Powell started talking about imminent rate hikes, the stock market collapsed under the weight of all this new paper. Like I pointed out last night, there are vast swaths of the market where stocks have been cut in half. And many of these names are either SPAC plays or recent IPOs because investors went out. And who can blame them? A lot of this is just garbage. Honestly, the present moment feels a lot like the year 2000, when the 300 companies that came public during the dot-com period suddenly went out of style and then disappeared. Now, we have no idea when this kind of pain is going to end, but if the dot-com bomb is any guide, there are two things you need to keep in mind. One, most of the new issues will never fully recover. Two, a select few of them will be able to pull through and eventually surge to new highs. <laughs> Call them the Amazons. They're down there. Those are the ones we need to try to find by weakness. You just need to know how to identify the beaten down potential winners from all those losers. Fortunately, there's absolutely no hurry. The recent IPO and SPAC stocks are still in the doghouse. I don't see that changing anytime soon. But it's never too early to start keeping a lookout for the ones that might make sense as long-term investments. Because I'm a big believer in rigor, I want to take a systematic approach to filtering out the wheat from the oceans of chaff. And right now, the best filter is profitability. Because when the Fed is tightening, Wall Street loves earnings and disdains everything else that's conceptual. So how many of these newly public companies are making money? I mean, actually, not bookings, not revenue, but real earnings. I think the profitable ones will be the first to bottom whenever the carnage comes to an end, although that could take a while. And, of course, it turns out there aren't very many profitable ones to begin with. When you filter out all the SPACs and all the quirky instruments we had with 440 traditional IPOs last year, although two of those have already been acquired, so now it's 438. On top of that, we had six direct listings, so back up to 444. Then you've got to add the SPAC mergers, the companies that came public by merging with a special purpose acquisition vehicle. If a SPAC is a blank check company, then these post-SPAC names are what happens when the blank check gets spent. Looking at the deals that have closed, it gives us another 205 stocks. Now we have a total of 649 new listings. No wonder we have a stock glut. That's a horrendous amount of unseasoned supply, like a fire hose going off in your sink when you're brushing your teeth. Needless to say, most of these stocks have performed horribly. So now let's talk profitability. How many of these beaten down stocks are expected to make money this year? That's a tricky question. For the purposes of our analysis, we're going to assume that any new listing with no analyst coverage has basically been set up to fail. Well, the 649 new issues, 559 of them have earnings estimates, which equates to institutional sponsorship. And among those, 204 actually have positive earnings estimates for 2022. That's a lot more than I expected. However, many of these earnings uh, per share forecasts are barely positive. That's why I want to throw in another screen valuation. Of the 204 ostensibly profitable new issues, 129 of them have priced earnings multiples below 30. 92 of them sell for less than 20 times earnings, and 35 actually sell for less than 10 times earnings. Hey, that's cheap. So cheap that I start to worry that something's real wrong. So let's stick to the 129 that are selling for 30 times earnings or less. Of these, 31 are too small to talk about on television. We also eliminated two Chinese IPOs because historically they're terrible. Next, we looked at the earnings estimates for 2023 and removed any companies expected to have a down year because those are potential value traps. Then we screened for bad balance sheets. In the end, we were left with the listing 61 companies, okay? 61 new listings with actual earnings, reasonable valuations, and non-horrible balance sheets. That's right. One-tenth of what we started with may actually be any good. One-tenth. 
So let me highlight the ones that I think are, are, let's say, notable. First is Perella Weinberg Partners, which is a boutique investment bank that now trades at eight times this year's earnings estimates. This is a rare SPAC stock that pays a dividend, supports a 2.9% yield. Second, Dole, the fruit and vegetable company. Uh, now, their most recent quarter was not so hot, but a packaged food play feels like a kind of fit in the current environment, especially when Dole sells for eight times earnings with a 2.5% yield, although I've never liked it historically. In all its different forms. Third, Playtika and Nexters are both mobile game developers. We mentioned the former last night, and with Take Two paying up to inquire Zynga, I'm feeling confident about this subgroup. Those seems interesting to me. Fourth is Traeger. Now, I've been dead wrong, dead wrong on these grill stocks, and these guys have some supply chain issues. But with the stock in the single digits trading at 17 times earnings, it could be a keeper. I'm more sanguine about number five, though, Solo Brands, the outdoor products company with a stock that sells it. Ten times earnings. I like that. Six is Holly. Makes aftermarket auto parts for high-performance vehicles. This is one of the rare SPAC stocks that's above $10, but it's not exactly expensive. selling for 14 times earnings, and it's got steady growth. Holly's a real business. Unbelievable. A SPAC with a real business. Seventh, we've got a pair of gym IPOs that I am shocked are doing well. F45 training and Exponential Fitness. Well, F45 stock has struggled. Exponential Fitness has actually had a nice run. I think they both work once we get over Omicron. Eighth, Sun Country Airlines. Very interesting. It's a smaller, feisty, leisure company stock that now trades at 16 times earnings, uh, down substantially from its high, but, you know, travel. Ninth, there's Open Lending. That's a technology company that helps businesses make auto loans. FinTech is in the doghouse here, but as the auto industry recovers from its supply chain woes, maybe it gets makes a comeback. It's 18 times earnings, probably too expensive. Finally, I like Endeavor. That's the parent company of WME, the talent agency that represents yours truly, along with IMG, the sports media and fashion company, and UFC, the mixed martial art league. What makes me like it? Right now, the streaming services are all at war with each other over talent, and Endeavor controls the talent. Plus, unlike uh, most of these uh, stocks, this is actually up from its IPO price. Hey, by the way, you know another one's up from its IPO price, but it was too expensive as Dutch Bros. Uh, I just couldn't include it, but I think it's got great momentum. So anyway, you're looking at this is it. Here's the bottom line. This is it. Out of the 600 plus, uh, I don't know, this market hates new listings and it despises the SPACs. And it's all for good reason because they're junk. But eventually this indiscriminate selling will create some buying opportunities. And when that happens, you should be aware that the market has fallen far enough that there's actually a few companies that might, let's just say, be, I don't know, interesting. Corey in New Jersey. Corey. Hey, Jim, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing well, Corey. Great, great to hear that. I'm calling today about SoFi, yes. S-O-F-I. Curious if this is a good time to buy. It recently broke past the $14 support level. Right. Um, but it did get the bank charter, which should make their costs Yeah, you know, i got to tell you, Corey, I could not believe this stock after rallying. I mean, boy, this market hates anything. But this stock rallied. It should have. And now it's given up all the rally and then some. $9 billion company run by a really good guy, Anthony Noto. I think it works. Let's go to Dan in New Jersey. Dan. Hey, Kramer, I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on ticker symbol H-U-G-S, which will be forming, hopefully, Panera Bread in a few months. Well, you know what? It's a blank check company. The answer is I don't want it. Let's go to Frank in New York. Frank. Jim, how are you? I'm an Eagles fan in upstate New York, so I'm with you on a lot of things. Good to have you there. What's up? We need the Eagles Nation up there. What's up? (laughs) Jim, uh, you've had Tom Caulfield, the CEO of Global Foundries, on the show a number of times. And I know we're a few weeks away from their earnings call. 
But with the shares trading below the IPO price, I just wanted to get your take on the company and shares at this time. Today was a day where everybody said that the semiconductors are going to be in glut. They didn't like what they didn't like what Lam Research said. They didn't like what Teradyne said. They didn't like what Intel said. And they're selling everything. Global Foundries is a very good company. And Tom Caulfield is going to do a very good job. But I cannot put you in the house of pain that everybody else is in at this very moment. Right, the market hates the new listings, but some deserve to be hated. The market hates the SPACs. They should really be hated. But eventually, indiscriminate selling will create buying opportunities. I looked at We looked at 600, more than 660 companies, and here, these are, some of them are okay. When that, you know, when things, let's say when there's a shakeout, you got to keep your eye on things that might represent actual value. Much more mad money ahead, including my schools with actual value. New core. Could the steelmaker be the kind of stock that we've been talking about that works in this market? I'm checking in with the CEO. Then not all chip makers are created equal. I'm talking about three of the big players, and two of them are being thrown out, just like I just told that gentleman a few minutes ago. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of the Lightning Round. So stay with Kramer. All the big 2021 winners that have rolled over in the new year, few have been more frustrating for me than Nucor, the nation's best steelmaker with a stock that I like so much that it's a large position for me in the charitable trust. It's not like this was some high-flying cloud software stock with no earnings. Nucor is the definition of what should be working here. They make real stuff, earn tons of money doing so, and return much of that money to shareholders via 2.1% dividend and a voracious buyback. But the analysts just can't bring themselves to believe that Nucor's strength might be sustainable. They've been predicting a sharp decline in earnings over the next few years. And that's why it was so encouraging when Nucor reported a better-than-expected quarter today. More importantly, management gave excellent guidance. They said earnings in the first quarter would only be slightly reduced versus the fourth quarter. Overall, they sounded very confident, which is why the stock jumped 4% today in what you know was a bad day. So has Nucor gotten its groove back, or did it never lose its groove? Let's take a closer look with Leon Topalian. And Leon is the president and CEO of Nucor. Learn more about the quarter, what comes next. Mr. Topalian, welcome back to Mad Money. Thank you, Jim. Appreciate you having me. Well, I'll tell you, we never lost the groove, Jim. No, I know. And your quarter was so (laughs) excellent. And one of the things you just said right up front, you will be a voracious buyer of your stock. You bought a lot of stock. You're really retiring a lot of stock. What makes you so confident versus almost every other steel company reported that told me things are getting bad? Yeah, no. You know, Jim, we're, we're so diversified as a company. We're in everything from high-end automotive to construction products to energy, agriculture, and everything in between. So as you think about the breadth of our footprint, our relationship with our customers, Every end market we're tracking is showing an improvement in 2022. The other um, point that's really important to remember, the start of 2021 was not a great quarter. We are starting from so much higher a position that's going to continue to mean great returns as we move into the first quarter of this year. So let's talk about some of those end markets. For instance, auto, huge for you, still nowhere near where it could be because of chip chip problems. Oil and gas, they are beginning for the first time, Halliburton just told us, to do more drilling again. They haven't done that. And then, obviously, infrastructure. We're just now getting bills out of Washington. They're going to save us. So your end markets, to me, seem tight. Yeah, without a doubt. And and so, again, we think um, with all our intel on the auto side, we'll start to see that chip shortage begin to subside in the second half of this year. But that pent-up demand, as you and I have talked about many times, is going to take a multi-year recovery. It's not going to fix itself 
in 2022. So the disposable income, the end user demand is still really strong. And I think um, had we not had the chip supply issue or it fi fixed itself this year, you'd see that boom into well above 16, 16 and a half or 17 million units. The other sectors, Jim, that uh, continue to show promise, as you mentioned, energy is, is coming, but in the renewable space and Nucor's opportunity with Brandenburg, um, the most diversified plate mill that will come online later this year, positions Nucor incredibly well to meet that demand in, in the renewable space, both onshore and offshore wind. Okay, now how about uh, one blemish that I need understood because I've got to try to figure out every line's been good. Is, I just understand, need to understand sheet because sheet was not what I thought it should be, but that's maybe because I don't, I'm not as close to the industry, obviously, as you are. Yeah, look, you know, what I tell you is, you know, she gets a lot of attention for good reason. You know, Jim, we made $6.8 billion of net earnings last year. A majority of that was attributable to our sheet group. They set a record at over 11 million tons shipped last year and over $6 billion of EBITDA from that group alone. So their performance has been incredible, and that's going to continue. Now, we're seeing some softening, and our weighting is a little more hot band centric than some of our competitors. But also keep in mind that in 2021, in a year where some of our competitors were flat or actually went down in sheet shipments, Nucor increased by 10%. So our move and our move up, particularly in automotive, our share grew in a declining market. So those things are going to continue because we do offer things like Iconic. That is a net zero steel. Our first coil of that went to General Motors a few weeks ago. And again, you're going to see that move as we move into West Virginia and announce that, that new state-of-the-art sheet mill there. Uh, Nucor's value proposition to provide uh, differentiated capabilities for our customers is unlike any of our competitors. Tell me more about that, because, you know, when I see people looking for seven dollars for next year or 17 this year, I think they must think that all steels created equal. One of the reasons I always like Nucor is because it really is not equal to the other company's steel. You are doing different things with technology that make it your steels proprietary. Yeah, absolutely. So, again, we announced in October of last year, Iconic, which is a family of net zero steels, um, again, the first of which shipped. But we are the first company to be able to produce net zero steels at scale, Jim. That demand isn't just in the OEM automotive sector. That is a growing segment. You and I have talked about many times the, the move in ESG to provide a sustainable platform for the long term. When you're talking to the cleanest steel maker on the planet, um, enables Nucor to, again, provide that differentiated value proposition. Think about our um, Hickman startup in our galvanizing line in Hickman, Arkansas. It's the first EAF in the world to be able to produce a full Generation 3 automotive steel. So we are doing things, Jim, that uh, our competition just can't do today. No, that's really a great way to put it, which is why, frankly, the analysts who want to look at it all as if it's all just some sort of, like, uh, just a sheet are getting it wrong. And that's why I think you're so smart to be buying back all that stock, retiring all of it, because as you and I both know, Nucor never has just one year of greatness. It has multiple years. That's been the history of your Absolutely. company. And I want to thank you, Leon Tapali, President CEO of Nucor. Great to see you, sir. Congratulations on an amazing Thank you. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Jim. Okay. Appreciate that. And money's back in the break. Coming up next. Let's make money together. What do we got? Kramer's bringing the thunder and answering your burning questions in today's edition of The Lightning Round.
It is time! And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready to keep that? Time lightning round is with Joe in Texas. Joe! Hey there, Mr. Jimmy. Uh, I got into this stock down in the nines about two years ago and sold off a bunch around the 30s. Okay. And since the last six months, it seems to be dropping about a little, just edging with those slightly lower lows for the last six months. Uh, M-A-X-R, Maxar Technology. I think that people uh, are upset that the Aerojet General didn't go through. It's a defense contractor. People feel that they're all going to get bought up. Now the government doesn't seem to want that. So it's kind of still warm, but it's good company. Let's go to Tom in Massachusetts. Tom. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. All right, club member, great show. Thank Thank you you. for tips and education. Thank you. Likes the 1020 show. Go ahead. All right, my regards is to Vista Outdoor, VSTO. You know, that's a very inexpensive, that's one of the most inexpensive stocks in the entire market. And just so you know, they're actually featuring Camelback right now and Bell, the helmet company. But people just regard them as a munitions company, and they're far more than that. Jury in Florida, jury. Jury? Hey. Hey, Jerry Shim. Mr. Jimmy Chill, what's Mr. up? Kramer. Yeah. Mr. Kramer, how are you? I'm good. How are you? So my, my question is on Sears, C-R-N-C. Yeah, see, that's a software. See, we've got so many software development companies, but I'm not going to slam them because they make money. Instead, I'm going to do homework and come back. And I'm going right now to Tom in Kentucky. Tom! Booyah, Jim, the investing club member. Yes, man, another guy Uh, watches the 1020 and reads my bulletins in the morning, gets all our stuff from the trust. What's happening? Well, I've I've got two questions. I respect your your effort and your expertise for us self-investors. I'm calling about AbbVie, which has earnings on Tuesday. And my second question, I've always wondered what your wingspan is. My wingspan? Oh, it's the same as uh, J.J. Archinga Whiteside, the largest of the Eagles, but doesn't catch anything. Ha, just kidding. Okay, here's a, no, a small wingspan, but here's the deal. Um, I, Abby broke out today. I know Zeb Fema from uh, who works with me said, hey, listen, Jim, it's breaking out. My problem is this, every time they break out, they break down when they report. But I think Abby's good. It's got a good dividend, and I'm sticking with it. Can I go to Alyssa in New Jersey? And thank you for club members. Alyssa. Jim, how are you? Club member here. How are you? <laughs> Wow, I love it. I love it. Yes, watch his videos, get the buttons. Go ahead. Love it. I just want to ask about CGC. You know, at a certain point, canopy growth has got to be worth something because it's got that terrific backer in Constellation Brands. It's got a good CEO. There was so much damage done to it before this. I would not sell that stock here. It could go to five. I know. But uh, at a certain point, there's going to be consolidation. Now I'm going to Chris in Virginia. Chris. Booyah, Jimmy Chill. Yeah, look at the way Chris comes to play. How do you like that? I'm calling about trade debt. Do I buy more or hold? All right, Jeff Green is terrific. This is a high-priced earnings multiple stock. Remember what I say. they got to be inexpensive companies that return capital, that make things. And Jeff's got a good company, but it's not on the – it's 84 times earnings. And the market's not buying it. It's got to go lower. Okay. Greg in Arizona. Greg. There you go. What's hey, up? Hey, Jimmy Chill. This Thank is Greg you. from beautiful Scottsdale, Arizona. All right. I love Scottsdale. What's happening? I'm a longtime viewer ever since the days of Cudlow and Kramer. Whoa. I'm calling about a stock. Yeah, that's right. I'm calling about a stock that's down about 90% in the last four years. Okay. Down about 70% in the last seven months. 
However, it does trade at about 7.3 times fiscal year 2022 earnings. Jim, I'm wondering if I should throw just a little bit of my mad money at WW International. Oh, wait, what? No, the old wait, what? No, I don't want you to. Just because it's going down does not make it cheap. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. If you listen to some of these gazillionaire money managers who come on here, you might think individual stocks don't matter anymore. But that's only true if you actually are running billions of dollars, whether it's your own or institutional. They have so much money that they can't take meaningful positions in individual companies without sending their stocks soaring. So instead, they bet on an entire asset class. And that's how you get all these guys trading the S&P 500 futures. But that doesn't mean individual stock picking is meaningless. Even though it doesn't make sense for big-time money managers, it makes a ton of sense for you. Let me give you three textbook examples that matter a great deal, at least to members of the CNBC Investing Club, which I hope you'll join. We're talking about AMD, NVIDIA, and Intel. Last night, Intel reported the latest in a string of incredible disappointing quarters, where the Valiant CEO, Pat Gelsinger, frantically tried to catch up to his leading competitors, AMD and NVIDIA. Instead, he brought them down. Intel has underinvested for years and years before Pat got there in the areas that had the best growth. Pat, who used to work at Intel before he left to run VMware, is desperately trying to turn things around. Good for him, but that's easier said than done. The problem is, he keeps saying it. He keeps telling people that he's crushing the competition, that he's catching, passing everyone. It's patently untrue. The whole thing's gotten really embarrassing to me, ask me. What's the truth? Simple. Both NVIDIA and AMD are miles ahead of Intel. And if anything, they seem to be pulling away from the dethroned king of the semiconductor industry. And by the way, I was an Intel-a-hawk at one time, so don't say I wasn't on board. This morning, AMD finally got regulatory approval from China for its acquisition of Xilinx, a company that will give them great entry into 5G wireless, aerospace, defense, autos, medical equipment. AMD had none of that stuff. This gets AMD off the treadmill of competing with Gelsinger's Intel instead of being dragged down by him every time he benignly trashes the competition. I was worried that Xilinx deal might not even close. This is huge. No one cared. At the same time, Intel is also trashed NVIDIA, acting like they're still the king of the data center. Not true. NVIDIA dominates the data center. And frankly, if there's a new king in the semiconductor industry, it's them. By the way, not the, doesn't say it by name. Just very blunt. Very just as all these other guys, they're not doing as well. I think Intel's a sale. While AMD and NVIDIA are buys, as I told investing club members vociferously this morning in my 10:20 morning meeting that I want you watching. But now let's go back to the question of whether individual stocks matter. When I go talk to these large capitalization money managers or super rich billionaires, they're aghast when I pitch individual stocks or mention them. And what am I wasting their time for? Jay Powell's raising interest rates. To them, that means sell all stocks. They don't care that AMD or NVIDIA are better than Intel because even these large companies are too small to make a difference to their portfolios. That's not true for you home gamers. But the thing about the super rich is that they've got a lot of firepower. If you look at what happened yesterday, you saw a huge swing in the S&P from up a lot to down horribly for a bit of a resume. Saw it again today. Why? The decline was caused by big money managers blowing out of stocks as an asset class via futures because the Fed will be selling its bonds and raising interest rates and they want nothing to do with stocks. To them, picking between Intel and NVIDIA, AMD, is like trying to distinguish between individual barrels of oil. There's no point to it. But again, you're not managing a multi-billion dollar hedge fund. You want to be, or maybe you want to be a millionaire. I want to support you. I want you to take a look at how you would have done if you invested $1,000 in AMD since Lisa Sue took over on October 8th of 2014. Look at that, okay? That's $1,000. It's $31,000 today. All right, now. How about if you invested in NVIDIA in the same period since she came in? Look at this. You put $1,000 in NVIDIA, you have $50,190 today, 71% gain. All right. 
And how would you have done if you put the money in Intel? Oh, there you go. Invested $1,000 in Intel in 2014. It's worth $1,700 today. Goody. These are enormous gains that we can capture, you and me, simply by doing the homework. And that's what we're going to do. At the end of the day, you have to do what matters to you. I have no advice for billionaires. I don't care about them. You you only need to get rich once. But for everybody else, let's stick with the fundamentals, investing in best-of-breed operators that make things for a profit and give you some of it while avoiding weaker companies that are always making excuses. That's what we're going to do together. I'd like to say there's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise you I'll find it just for you right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Cramer. See you tomorrow. The news with Shepard Smith starts now. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.